We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Feel like Kobe in the fourth quarter. This is the Daymore NBA podcast brought to you by zonecoverage.com and the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. It is February 10th, which means it's a Monday. In studio with me is Britt Robson. Last time we were here, I'm trying to think of how much has just happened in these, these past two weeks. Yeah. It, was, it was the day after Kobe had passed away. Oh, yeah. And, and then maybe the day before the Wolves blew that. 30-point lead to the, the Kings in, in yeah, epic fashion. That, that's actually very close. I would think you're right in there. Which was, I think, the nadir of the season was that. Maybe, I don't know, the, the Hawks game. No, I think that <laughs> might have the, been the Sacramento close. game, just because they had it in their hands. The the In terms of effort, maybe the Hawks game, yeah. you'd have to. In terms of character, mm. I think you'd have to say that, the, you know, you can't lose 27-point lead when you have a nine-game losing streak, right. see, that's the thing. How much do you care about ending a losing streak? If you don't care about ending a nine-game losing streak against a team that you have played on even terms two previous times and are ahead, yeah, I mean, or I guess in this particular case, had beaten the first time and, and were ahead. But it's just, uh, anyway, so, so brighter is, times. <laughs> I was going to say, is this, is this now, even if hollow, the brightest time of the season, or was it maybe after the the Miami win where they were three and zero? I think, you know, you know that I've been down on this team in terms of its one loss record the entire season, yep. and but I would have to say that ten and eight, the fact that they had sustained over five hundred for eighteen games mm-hmm. surprised me. For sure, I thought even seven and four. I thought okay, you know, and actually. Now that I think about it, no, when, when at the end of Wiggins' run, when Wiggins went to uh, mourn his grandmother, yeah, 
I think that was probably the best I felt about this team this season because I thought this guy maybe has figured it out, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, he is having his best season, but he regressed significantly from that. It's probably why people who are actually making decisions in front offices laugh at us being prisoners of the moment here in the media world. Right. When, when we, I and mean, I try not to be for that reason. You but know, it just—it's you know. sometimes un, unavoidable. But here we are. Um, <laughs> the Timberwolves have D'Angelo Russell. Yes, it's the first podcast we've ever done where the Timberwolves don't have Andrew Wiggins on the team. That's right. Which is and just Gorgie Jang seems wild to say. So Gorgie Jang is a more valuable po position. Uh, Gorgie Jang meant more to the Minnesota Timberwolves this season than Andrew Wiggins did, in my view. In, in what he illustrated the center position can do. That's certainly part of it. The idea that he put pressure on Towns, the idea that um, he was a stretch five as a backup, um, that his communication, it also made us feel better about Covington and probably made other teams feel sure. better about Covington, and the fact that Wiggins did regress so that um, it was a higher, it was a pinnacle. Um, For G. But no, I meant for it was a pinnacle for Wiggins what he did. I have never seen Wiggins play better over a, an eight or ten game stretch than we saw late late October, early November. But it, it with a larger sample size, it became right. yet another tease. And so um, when that happens, you know, then in, and also Gorgie's done at the end of next year. Wiggins is done three years down the line. All of those things said to me, um, okay, you know, uh, there's there's what what Jang has done is more impressive and in many respects better for the Timberwolves long term. Now you could argue that without Wiggins they don't have Russell, and without Jang they don't have James Johnson. Right, which is different. Russell <laughs> is obviously a long term more valuable piece than James Johnson, so. You know, uh, should we it, go down? Okay, so so let's should we? I think we have three paths to go down here. Okay, Wiggins, D'Lo, the the all the other moves. The, Whatever the, you the want to do, you know. I I Maybe have just no start plan. with like ten minutes on Jordan McLaughlin. <laughs> just kidding. We can, yeah. I'm gonna write about Jordan I, McLaughlin I tomorrow. Know, you, it was uh, that was he's been great. He's been great. But I'm kidding. We cannot talk about Jordan McLaughlin. This we need to talk about. Okay. Let's do. Uh, Let's do – let's talk D'Lo Wiggins. I All mean, right. I, I think for me, the the way I you, – you look at the trade and 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 you ask yourself you can just the one fundamental question of was it worth a first-round pick, even lightly protected in a second-round pick, simply to be off of Andrew Wiggins. And I think that's – It was worth a first-round pick to be off of Wiggins. It was worth another first-round pick to be off, I mean, to get D'Lo. That's the way I would look at it. Okay. So what you have there is they did lose one first-round pick and they did lose a second to some extent. Mm -hmm. um, I don't see how it isn't a good deal. I mean, right. the key thing, obviously, is that Wiggins, as Point Wiggins, is a non-starter. Mm -hmm. And so, and Jared Culver, as Point Culver, is a non-starter. In the eyes of... Oh, it was. I don't to think be. he can develop. I don't think you you. Stefan Marbury famously said, "Point guards are sent from God or a creation of God or something." And and there's something to that. I mean, you have a point guard mentality. Uh, LeBron James 
almost from the beginning was a very, very creative passer, mm -hmm. for example. Um, and so I think that D'Angelo Russell is a point guard and they needed a point guard. You know? And I don't think they ever billed Culver as that. And, and any of their public commentary, I, I don't think so. I mean, yes, there were times they started games without a traditional point guard, but listed by the team at point guard was Andrew Wiggins. They teased heavily. The idea they when they drafted ball when they drafted Jared Culver, they were saying uh, this guy is going to be a playmaker for us. They were kind of hinting combo guard heavily, but when I I specifically asked Culver uh, mm -hmm. uh, during media day, do you think the plan is for this for this organization to have you as a point guard in the next two or three years? And he didn't deny it. I don't think he knew. <laughs> I, I mean, I I think at the end of the day, the um, I think when you're asking about position and fit and what a player is going to be in this team, the person to ask about that, if you want to know what's actually happening, is Gerson Rosas. By all means. And and that's he's pulling all the strings. Yes. And and Ryan is coaching the team, right. which which does have its own autonomy, but it's an unprecedented amount of to, and, for and the Timberwolves. For right. the, well, I would say around the league, the amount of control that uh, that Russell's has on the team, and I'm not even saying that is, is a bad right. thing. I think the, the details are playing out that this team is completely unfolding in his vision uh, in terms of personnel, in terms of style of play, in terms of everything. You could argue Pat Riley in Miami has done that, um, certainly when he had Stan okay. Van Gundy. Stan Van Gundy went in, and when once the Heat looked like they were going to be really good, hey, guess what? I think I'm coming down to coach the team. Yeah, now, yeah. you know, <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen with Rosas. <laughs> no, I don't either. But I, I do think that uh, there are some dominant front office types. Um, Sam Hinkie, mm, sure. um, you know, Brett Brown really didn't have a hell of a lot of say about what was going on in that organization. Sure, but I get your point, and and your point is even more magnified by the idea that Rosas picked his two top assistants yeah. and both of those guys are dominant assistants. They are not, you know, under Tom Thibodeau, who was the lead assistant? I mean, you had to, you got to squint really hard to find right. anybody who was worth anything in terms of sure. Im impact. So um, I've always maintained that, you know, once I got the lay of the land a little bit that um, Ryan Saunders is a player relations guy. He's a guy that um, is a is a higher as a half a step higher than the assistant coach. All the players go to to complain, um, and it's a crucial half step because he is the head coach, and so he can say, "No, that's not going to happen for you." I think he makes. I think there are plenty of in-game decisions he makes. I think there's rotation decisions he he makes. I mean, I, the two I can think of are. Um, Gorgie Jang ascending into being the, the backup center. I think that um, Ryan pushed for that and and kind of you know made that happen after Gorgie showed what he could do. And then also Trevion Graham starting at the the beginning of the season. I think that was um, Ryan's you know. I desire don't know. I think that one. I, I agree with you on Gorgie just because I don't think Rosas had any history with Gorgie. The more. Mm -hmm. It's very revealing, I think, that the more history you've had with Gorgie Jang, the more higher you were on him, That's just true. because he really was always ready. Graham, um, 
I always saw it as a stopgap, you know, the idea that you don't want to expose. You didn't want to expose Culver too much. You needed somebody next to Teague because he couldn't play defense. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a. You I know, think the idea was that they had to have a stopgap, and Ryan got to choose what that stopgap was going to be out of a list of underwhelming options. Uh-huh. And And the connection I'll make now to this group is I think James Johnson very much fits that idea, and Ryan will – lean more into James Johnson than maybe in a, in a similar way to like, for me, I, I remember writing before the season, not only just about the starting lineup, but about the rotation. And I didn't have see Trevion Graham at all in either of those. Right. And, and I think, and then he proved to start. And I think James Johnson will be, will be similar in that Ryan sees a lot of utility in being able um, to use him. And I do think that Gerson does too. I I think that, you know, he gave Jang for him. It it was a little bit of a salary deal, but it it wasn't enough of a salary deal. And I was just thinking about this the other day because he's the other guy I will probably be writing about tomorrow. It'll be McLaughlin and Johnson pending what happens tonight Mm -hmm. in Toronto. But um, Johnson is a quote-unquote Gorgie Jang who can play the four next to Cat. And... Right away in that first game, he was defending fives. Yes. And which put Cat out on just transition, whoever it was. Okay, you pick up Paul George. Like, right. that was not happening. Right. You know, pre- I, and that's what I, I mean. That's Covington why everybody who was. was arguing about mm-hmm. um, let's play two bigs, um, you could make that case, but you'd have to say, well, wait a minute now. That means you can't, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, you'd have to start switching towns. Uh, we still, I mean, I don't, Toronto's starting center is... Gasol. Uh, yeah. Eh. Gasol. Well, that, that'll be interesting um, because Gasol, when he goes outside, Johnson, I think, will pick him up. Um, and I think let, there, there'll just be a fluidity to being able to... There'll be more of a fluidity than there was simply because Do you Roko remember, though, was gone. At the beginning of the year, though, there was there was a lot more fluidity to, like, I remember the uh, the Memphis game. And and it would just kind of switch off game to game, or possession to possession of Jer- Towns as Jaron Jackson, Covington as Jaron Jackson. It didn't. That's right. It that didn't. was the most switching that those two did. That first Memphis game, and then maybe even Philly, just because of their size. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. That was um, they, they did a lot more switching, and right. then they said, "Well, wait a minute now. You know, we have to teach these guys the system." Yeah, that was kind of in the time where they got away from. A little bit the, the program defense. right. defensively. So right. yes, um, to get back to to Russell. So I, yep. I think I think there's the there's that logic there. And and for me personally, uh, the way my belief is, I do think it was worth a a valuable first round pick and a second round pick to get off of Andrew Wiggins. Agree. And now I think the pushback that that you could have is now is D'Angelo Russell worth it at at his price? Is that a good investment of just your salary cap asset in that he is on the same contract that Andrew Wiggins is. Um, you know, what we think back to the off season, we were talking about what is, what is Russell going to get? Right. And, and for a lot of, you know, it was, it kind of started in the you know, perception was maybe in the lower twenties, not a max. DeAndre Russell was on a max contract, which is just a lot to ask out of, you know, anyone. Um, and, and I, I, so I think that's, that's where there's some fair pushback. That said, I, I think that is a – I'm not viewing that as a negative contract at the moment at all because I think it's absolutely worth 
testing it, testing that type of player alongside Cat, having a point guard sent from God or whatever Steph said, mm-hmm. and and that that makes that you know that makes a lot of sense to me. Not even to mention the whole needed vibe change around around the team that is clearly palpable in the moment. So yeah, I mean I've, I've talked about this before. It seemed and written about it. It seems like a, a pretty obvious move to me from you know from the Wolves' perspective, but not yet. Like we can't just say a win right now. It, it is very dependent on like all the sprawling balls of yarn that like come off of this and and seeing how it it fits together. Specifically, how the Towns and Russell pairing does work because it's it's going to need to work very well offensively, you know, for this to be a real winning move i think that you have to judge things by the facts on the ground when they happen um classic case is tom thibodeau there's a lot of people that really regret and rue the tom thibodeau era i remember very clearly when he was hired there was a a great sure uh bonfire of praise for this happening. Glenn moving decisively, giving him both things is what it took. He's matured. You know, he did, took his famous sabbatical or whatever. Um, now, it's an easy second guess that he was horrible. Um, he wasn't my first choice, but Scott Brooks was, and Scott Brooks hasn't lit the world on fire in Washington. Um, but the point being, you've got to own what you think at the time. Mm-hmm. I have not liked D'Angelo Russell probably ever relative to what other people think of him. That said, I would say that this was a good trade and I will have to stand on that. And the reason it's a good trade, you and I have talked about this, what are the alternatives? Yes. You look for Carrot Levert. I said go through the draft. You know, either way, both of those relative to what D'Angelo Russell is now – is not sufficient as a guarantee of what a floor is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so long as they can figure out a way to play defense with him and Cat on the court, and perhaps if you get some mutual accountability, which I am very dubious about, I think they're going to need a third and fourth and, and fifth people with, with wrenches in their hands <laughs> to get those two to play defense. Sure. Um, but... That said, and I also, I mean, I'm I'm zipping in the negatives as I endorse this deal. Um, I still do not know how Cat will be as a roller on a pick and roll. We haven't seen You know, I mean, he just doesn't set good picks. People forget that to be a pick and roll, to be a good roller, you have to sell the pick. And that's such a big part of DeAndre Russell's game exactly he, he was sec- last season in brooklyn which is you know the, the best line we can yep. draw here he was second in the league in per game pick and rolls ran i mean that is and that Again, was and with jared the allen you know yeah. I, mean, I mean it isn't like it was even andre drummond or, or mm-hmm. you know or right. um or collins from atlanta who i love as a pick and roll guy and now they you know they get somebody else i got drummond as a matter of fact right. no, no 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 that was cleveland that was cleveland that's right but, but they do have somebody else oh they got capella so, I mean, you know, right. my God, Atlanta's got Collins and Capella now. Mm-hmm. Huh. Well, anyway. I just think it's – it's. we don't also know what a pick-and-roll-driven scheme 
with Cat looks like because, I mean, the two players over the past few years that he could run it with were Andrew Wiggins and Jeff Teague. Andrew Wiggins had a an odd reaction to pick and rolls where when teams would... He'd turn them down. Well, yeah, but but he would... Because teams were prioritizing defending Cat on the screen as the numbers would indicate to do. So there was often, the in his eyes, it looked like the gold was on the other side of the rainbow by not... Right. By rejecting the screen and right. going that way, which inherently does not include cat in the action. Um, not that, that that there's a lot of times where that was like the smart move to make by Wiggins, right. but it, it just, it never, it didn't get the consistency of over and over. This is what a Wiggins and cat pick and roll looks like. And then their, T- their best pick and rolls were spacious pick mm-hmm. and rolls Yes, where they were both out by the arc High. Yep. and, and they either fainted a pick and roll. Mm-hmm. And so the, Guy started the drift one way, and then they they stopped and went the other way, and the guy zipped it to him for a. Or um, Wiggins would roll from a distance. Uh, Cat would hit Wiggins a lot on on rolls that he he'd fake setting. Yeah, it was the more sc- of like a back cut. He fa- he fake setting yeah. a screen for Cat, mm-hmm. and then would would peel off and and head for either the corner or the lane. But sooner or later, Cat would get him. They had some really interesting yeah. uh, two-man set, sets that they I'm not read. saying it, was, it wasn't interesting or it wasn't It was dynamic. interesting, but it wasn't a bread and butter exactly. that you could do. Exactly. And, and we saw Cat run that exact same fainted backdoor dive with Josh Okogie right. in the first quarter of this game. I mean, it's a— And Okogie's gotten pretty good at that. Yeah. It's a, well, if it's only a he could finish. Yeah. <laughs> well, when he dunks it, it it's right. better. If he right. starts flipping right. you know, east-west, that's weird. But then with Teague is the—you know, that's the point guard. That's the other right. player to— to run, you know, pick and rolls with for Cat, and and Teague was a combination of poor at and unwilling to deliver the ball to the roller in those situations. And what would, you know, would often happen is is the prodding, and then Teague would kind of reset and enter the ball to Cat in the post. Often, he Cat and Mouse. His pick and roll yes. was Cat and Mouse. Cat and mouse. He yeah. would basically dribble down, keep dribbling down, so that the 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 distance between the two players and the hoop shrunk. Mm-hmm. Um, and he kept waiting for something. I mean, there was always some kind of weird signal in Tig's mind as to when was the right time to either go up or dish the ball. And he is a pocket passer. I've got to say, he was a very good pocket passer. And maybe Just it, it gets frequent. back to his legendary inability to enter the ball as a post to mm-hmm. a post person, which I don't think is that overrated. I mean, I keep looking back at it. Um, it was it was just so it, it fit. he never had a really great big man. He had Al Horford in Atlanta for a long time, and Horford was not a classic post guy. It, I, I'm just going back to when I was you know like writing about Teague at the time of the trade, and right. it was. I mean, that same thing was in his game before he got to Minnesota. He loved to, like, get to the nail and get his body really upright where he would where he would be, like, taking in everything that was left between him and the hoop. And because his arms were so long, he could really turn his body upright and still dribble the ball. And, and it was just bizarre and inherently indecisive. And as the game has progressed to a league predicated on decisive space and roll and pace. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It just, it wasn't there. So, so now you have D'Angelo Russell, a willing pick and roll player and a decisive pick and roll player who's found, you know, success right in, in those actions, you know, broadly on high volume. So it, it, you know, you, you, 
can start, you know, fetishizing the idea of this is going to be, you know, great with him and Kat. Uh, what I think is going to be the, the fascinating wrinkle left in there is, is that a big part of the pick and roll is the guard going all the way to the rim themselves. Right. And Russell has... There's I mean, a big knock on him that he can't get to the rim. Oh, well, he doesn't. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't get to the... He, does, he doesn't get to the free throw line. He, he's he, got a good floater. He's got a good floater, and he's and he's a great mid-range shooter. Mm-hmm. But then you start going, whoa, I've been told that's illegal here. Right, right. You know, and, but... It wasn't illegal for Andrew Wiggins. Yeah, I mean, but it, but we were told it was illegal. Well, you, Andrew just disobeyed the law. First of all, Wiggins doesn't have nearly the floater D-Lo does. Yes. Uh, secondly, Or Wiggins, the jump shot. Or the handle. Sure. See, so all of those things factor into pick and roll mm-hmm. effectiveness. And as Russell pointedly noted, uh, I've never played with a big man like Cat. Yeah. I mean, true. Uh, hopefully, Cat magnetizes that big so he can get to the rim. Right. You know? And that would be the difference. I mean, I think to lay out the knocks, and we can, there's more of them defensively, but offensively with Russell is their. I mean, the Brooklyn last year was in the zeroth. Is that the way you put it? <laughs> the last percentile for free throw rate in the league mm. when Russell was on the floor, and and then and so you go, okay, is we know that that's very important to this team, and they've been fifth in free throw late right. this this year. The Wolves have so you and go, Napier was really good at it. Napier was good at it, and Wiggins was Wiggins yes, was, he was as well. So and you, Jeff Teague, by the way. So what, what I'm sort of thinking is I don't think you get DeAndre Russell and you all of a sudden, the Timberwolves as a whole stop getting to the rim, getting to the free throw line. Um, it's about what is that, you know, how do those two things sort of but balance But Beasley out? also doesn't seem like a guy. If I mean, I'm not knocking Beasley because I really Willing like him right Willing now, Willing but he, he does not strike me as somebody who is concentrating on finishing at the rim. He's a guy who concentrates on getting open and firing threes. Well, that's his, and moving without the ball. His statistical knock, at least this season, from what I've you know dug through, is what he he was off the charts offensively last year, and a lot of that was born out of the fact that he was shooting like sixty six percent at the rim, and this year he's down to like fifty percent at the rim. What but, are the attempts? Um, I mean, it's it's a little bit less <laughs> phone call. No, I that much, yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's just less. It's not like that much less. He's played. He played less in Denver, but he still was. He still was in their rotation. The, it wasn't true that he, like, wasn't playing for them. So mm-hmm. it, that, right, it right. was. It was. It was still there. Um, but but yeah, he he isn't. They do lose a lot of getting to the rim with Wiggins out. Right. And you know how are the, you know how does that rearrange the puzzle pieces in this offensive system? Four, six, Maybe six. that's their bench unit because both Culver and Okogie are not bad at it. That's true. That's a good point. Uh, so, you know, maybe, um, you know, you have a situation. And we don't know, you know, we don't still don't know how the rotations are going to shake out once D'Lo is back. We don't know um, if that's going to be strictly a two, two-man two game. Like who is the guy who stays on the floor as the – as the well, anchor. That's what was so fascinating about Townsend Wiggins is there was this huge commitment to playing them together at the beginning of the year. Right. And then Ryan, this past month, openly admitted he was trying to stagger them right. to keep one offensive option on the floor at all times. I mean, that's because they were so terrible. I mean, yeah. both Okogie and Culver disappeared for a while. Mm-hmm. And that, if Culver, you recall, they, during missing. that second losing streak, yeah. 
um, especially in the middle of it, the beginning to the middle of it, and and part of that included the time when Cat came back. Okogie was awful, mm-hmm. and and Culver took the baton from Okogie and became awful. That's that's part of my my Culver concern is that his good play, which there has been some of, yes, hasn't connected to any of the main pieces. With with Cat, his best Culver's best play came with Shabazz Napier. When when those two that run in that time playing in in that set, which gave him greater bandwidth to do his thing, right? And also late October through mid November, that second unit played superb defense, and he was a part of that. Mm-hmm. And I, that, okay. was, that was an APR too. That okay, that's that's true. I, I'm more thinking about offensively I agree. because I, I understand because offensively, I don't want to bump you off. Culver <laughs> Culver has has disappeared offensively once Cat came back. Right, he had a 26 point game. Um, I think in Cat's second game back, but other than that, it's been like single digits every game. And it's just he's a way smaller piece of the puzzle, even pre-trade. And I think that's I think that's concerning. And I think it's also concerning you bring up a Kogi that he hasn't really synergized with him either mm-hmm. at any point this season. Wait, oh, you mean Culver and Okogi. Culver I agree. And yes. So it's But that's uh, really hard. Yeah. Because both fair. of those guys are are a little bit more redundant than anybody wants. That's true. hundred percent. it's just it's this is all. This isn't just about Cat and Dilo. This is about everything, right? You know, the this working is is about Wancho and and Beasley being impressive pieces of the future. It's about you know, it's about Akogi being there, and it's a it's about Culver too. I just I look at how things have shaken out, and I go, is Jerk Culver part of this? Right. Where does he Where does he fit? And I, I'm not I'm not trying to like cut his legs off one game in, into it, but. My sense of my feel I have with this is I don't know I don't know how that works. That's probably comes from an extent where I where I think I'm just lower on, on Culver and lacking and believing in him. I, I think I've been that all along. I don't know how that player serves a great purpose. That archetype of player serves a great purpose in this scheme outside of defense. And if it's just as a defensive guy, I, I just struggle with the idea. And of even the as a pick. defensive guy, where he, I think he gets really burned on offense. First of all, his shot is broken. That's that's always going to be. We know that. You yeah. know the scarlet letter on his forehead right now is that he can't shoot. So he has to get to the rim to be effective. Every now and then, like that twenty-six point game, I think he probably had four threes. Yeah. Every now and then, yeah. he'll find his stroke from somewhere and and. But you can't – the NBA is littered with cast-offs like that. Sure. Uh, so that can't happen. He's got to find his stroke during the offseason. He's got to re- remake his shot. But aside from that, what is concerning is he gets banged around. He gets bumped off stride. He does not keep his lane in the NBA scrum. And, Absolutely. And, and that is a big concern because um, – he is a gritty player. Well, you know, mm-hmm. you, you can be a gritty player, but if you don't have any bulk behind the grit, it's but that, not But that's nearly. what they would – I'm sure they would push back on now too is not only is he going to rework his shot in the summer, he's – we're going to work on his body. And obviously – I mean it's a clear need – need number two. Number one is a shot. Need number right. two is is gathering strength because I – do you definitely see it offensively in, in going to the rim. He – 
If he has a clear lane, he's great. He's great. If he does not, but cannot. And and he can't use his left hand. No. Which is another. But I mean, those are that you know skill development, wh- right. whatever. But also, if his positive is that he's this defensive player, he needs to be able to physically defend. All, he seems all better mat- at that, though. He his, not strong guys. Yeah, I mean, not not. Yeah, not two two twenty guys, two thirty yeah. guys. I agree with that. And if he is, he's more and more looking to me like the two on the team. You know, in the great mythical okay, good so Timberwolves. So then the, Beasley's the guy guarding yeah, the two twenty guys. The three. Yeah. See, I mean, that's just. And I actually think he can. Uh, yeah, I, I'm. I'm strangely positive about Beasley's defense and have been all along. It's just something about him. I, I don't disagree with that. I I don't understand why the numbers are what they are. I mean, you know, you mm-hmm. could, um, but I, I can say that, um, and I'm not sure I, I would feel more comfortable if they had a natural three and so he could play the two because I like the idea of it being a strong two rather than a somewhat weak three in terms of defensive intensity. I'm just concerned about the the defensive ability to match up one through three, if you're one through three, big picture, are Russell, Beasley, and Culver. Right. And, I mean, there's... Especially when Cat's your bulwark at the bottom. Exactly. So, but I, I'm i sure there's more moves to come. Those things are to be addressed. But as we live, you know, in, in, in this moment right now and under the idea that, you know, Malik Beasley probably is a big part of the future here, D'Angelo Russell is probably a big piece of the future here. Absolutely. And, they both have to be. Yeah, and and Culver is under contract to be that. But if if that fit is wonky, it's just if you want to start playing the game of what's the Wolves' next big move, I think Jarrett Culver goes out in that, mm. in, in most of those hypotheticals. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I don't know, not for sure, right. but, but he has quickly become – the worst fit of the main guys within this system in my eyes. I think that's a really uh, incisive comment. I'm not there yet, but I certainly see why you're getting there. Um, I don't want to be there. It's just No, no. I, I mean, no, I actually think that's exactly the kind of thing that, you know, makes for good analysis in my view is being able to see something that clearly looks like a trend. Now, you might be wrong, but – it is not um, ridiculous to think that he had his times where he struggled and then he started to get better and everybody relaxed because usually when somebody struggles and then they get better, they get better a little longer mm-hmm. and then they don't go backwards too far and they right themselves. He has righted himself two or three times this year for short periods and then immediately got bumped off his pins again. That can happen to a number six overall pick. If that happens, then they've got to be 18 or 19 and you've got to be saying, oh, they're young. And Yeah, that, and that's the argument is he's 20. You he's know. 20. And that's actually that's a difference. Mm-hmm. You know, 18 to 20 is a difference. I agree. And the amount of burn and prominence he got, this isn't Zach Levine. You know, who got like 20 minutes or whatever in uh, UCLA. Um, right. He was a key part of that team in many roles, and he was a stud on defense. At Texas Tech. Yeah. And so, and... Playing basketball in a very different way, though. 
Yeah. All right. But if you heard it once, you heard it a dozen yeah, times. Sure. Rosas will tell you now. Mm-hmm. He's such a hard worker. We're not worried about him. Well, start worrying <laughs> because he's been working like crazy since he joined the team. Mm-hmm. And you see him out there working on his free throws all the time. How's that going? You know, I mean, so. It's really a sad thing to well, watch. Well, uh, okay, but after a while when when – when somebody tells you something over and over and over again and it doesn't work, it's not right. You essentially call bullshit, right. you know. Um, Gerson Rosas, don't tell me about Jared Culver's work ethic. Mm-hmm. Tell me how he's going to get better aside from working really, really hard at banging his head against the wall. And and I think the the answer to that, if it happens, is his confidence improves immensely. Because that confidence is definitely – that's another good point because you notice when he has been on, there's a little bit of a pep in his step. There's 100%. a – there's uh, – you know, he, he's he's Mr. Humble in interviews, never wants to say the wrong thing, son of a pastor from Lubbock, Texas. I mean all the things that basically tell you, you know, straight and narrow, buddy – Right. You know, you do the right thing and you'll be rewarded and so on and so forth, but there's got to be a part of him that's going, well, you know, are we sure about this? And so yeah. when he gets positive reinforcement, well, then all those lessons he got from his upbringing and his straight and narrow life um, make sense. When he doesn't have that, um, he, he probably questions because he's grown up humble. He probably says, do I have the stuff? Right. to do this. And I just think it's it's a kind of ridiculous standard to be held to, but for this to work for the Timberwolves, for them to become a contender, they need to hit on all high leverage moves. Yes. Which which I would put the you know very obviously the the Russell in there. I would put this acquisition of Beasley and Hernan Gomez in there to a lesser degree. Yep. And then it's inherently a high leverage move to draft a player 6th overall. After punting the 11th and a exactly. power forward. Exactly. So it's just, I mean, I, I've i pretty much up and down praised this entire week of the Timberwolves. It's just my view. I think it was it was really good. I uh, agree. A, a, a massive win. The knock on Gerson Rosas in this front office right now is Jared Culver. And whether or not um, the timeline how do you get to where you going? Uh, I'll throw this out. It remains to be seen whether the bet on Towns is a good bet. Fair. That's fair. And so, I just think that's one that you and I would obviously make if we were in that same situation, given the alternatives. I don't know. I don't know if I would make that because um, in the new NBA, and let me, before I roll down this road yet again, <laughs> Uh, let me say that Carl Anthony Towns is a great player in many, many respects, and uh, I enjoyed the hell out of watching him play basketball, and I think um, he can be, I think, the second best player on a championship team. Mm-hmm. Um, he cannot be the best player on a championship team, I don't think. And I think that if Rosas knows that and basically is making him the guy so that he is riding that sentiment uh, strong enough to bring the best guy here. That's great. Um, But I I do think that 
when I'm looking at Rosas long term, and I, you know, I, in print and mostly verbally, I've been very high on him, um, and I think he's been. I'll get into that later. I, I think his development. I, I think the Iowa thing is just amazing, but we can get into that later. Um, Culver and Towns and D'Angelo Russell. Those are all bets. Those are all big bets. Um, I just got through saying, um, put me in the column that says the Russell trade should have been made. Um, I've always had big doubts about Russell, but I understand the position. This is one where I just say he's in an impossible circumstance and he did the best he could. Um, But I do not think that a core of Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell in the Western Conference in the 21st century, the NBA, gets you out of the first round. And and I, this is this is totally jumping the gun ahead, but there was in in his press conf- post press conference scrum that he uh-huh. that he did with us, Gerson Rosas, kind of ended with the line of and you know and and hoping this is a place that D'Angelo Russell can spend the rest of his career. Right. And there's this. The, the next looming crossroads is we're going to play this game for a while, this one yes. we're on, but there's a looming crossroads of D'Angelo Russell's contract expires in three years, theoretically right when he hits his prime, about 26 mm-hmm. years old, right. and a year after that, Carl Anthony Townsend does. At 27. At 27, also theoretically his prime. The time when when those guys would theoretically This should be, be the tryout for the championship run. So here's the deal. When that time comes... Both of those guys are coming off of max contracts and likely to demand another max contract at an even elevated level of now they can make 5% more of the, of the cap. And, you know, if Towns could get the super max, if he you know, is, is made, I would assume, makes enough all NBAs to get there. So then we're talking about 35% of the cap on Cat and 30% of the cap on DeAndre Russell if you bring them both back. And that is a... That is a lot more than what you're doing already right now. And you're already restricted books where they're both on 25% of the cap maxes. So I don't think this is the long-term pair. Unless you consider his pedigree and you see what's happened in Houston. Um, I am not sure that Houston has enough. Mm-hmm. You know, Paul and Harden was, was a big step. And people going, can Paul and Harden actually work? And then they flipped it to Westbrook that, and Harden. That's my point, is I think I think unless this goes perfect, which it could, or uh-huh. close to perfect, right. and, and everything and everything falls in line and you know, hopefully, wishfully thinking, maybe maybe it does. But I think the more likely outcome is that one of, if not both of them, are flipped in time for for different guys on max contracts. The Westbrook Paul thing is, you know is a, a, a perfect example to draw there. I mean, teams, that's just the reality of player player right, movement, right. even smart player m- movement in the league. But that was a horrible deal for Houston. <laughs> I mean... Russell's kind of balling up. Westbrook's kind of been good. Now. Yeah. Is he worth all those one number one picks? No. <laughs> no. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, yeah. Well, I think what we, we've also very much seeing in Houston is they're at a crossroads of desperation. In Houston is trying to to do something revolutionary because they don't have any choice. Mm-hmm. And, well, they did, actually. They had a choice with the Capello, but they decided they're literally 
There's no room for oh, they're Cape- all in. There's no room for Capella lobs anymore. I mean, what's crazy yeah. is it was one of the most efficient plays in the NBA. But if that means that Russell and, and Harden, I mean that Westbrook and Harden don't get to screw around as much. If if you're running plays for Capella to get to the rim, I don't know. It just what Houston has done. They, and, they and, are so many steps further along the line than what which might be a, a similar they're, line. They're going they're down all the, in. the track to ruin. That the Timberwolves in. maybe have just begun. Maybe but they are so far down that track. Along that track, though, are turns left and turns right. And they may be able to put Houston may shock the world and and beat a much better team in the playoffs because that boomer bust system booms at the time. Mm-hmm. That's always been the but bet. But give me Oklahoma said. City in three years or four years. Sure. I mean, if you're talking about what can be done, um, that's the track I want Gerson Rosas to run. I don't want him running the track where he's basically playing high-stakes poker with guys who are boom-and-bust guys. Mm-hmm. Give me some, some rock-solid blue chips, you know. Right. Um, and Harden is a blue chip. But 100%. he, you need somebody who isn't like Harden as his next best teammate. And so that's you know. just the rock and the hard place of it. It just my my point is when I think about that, I, I can't help but think about the future of it. And it sounds like it's way down the road. But if in fact they are going right. to be to flip one of Cat or Russell, more likely Russell, then that comes before that contract is up. Yep, which would be be two years, probably two years. But you know what? I, I've been saying this more and more lately and becoming smarter and smarter the more I say it, which I love. But uh, <laughs> two years is an eternity in the NBA. 100%. I mean, there is so much. If you go back and look at all the NBA rosters, it's it's really you think you know, but it is an instructive exercise for anybody who really follows the NBA to just go back Go to Basketball Reference and and type in sixteen seventeen season or seventeen right. eighteen season and just look at where <laughs> the names are. It's ridiculous how much things have just totally been scrambled. And, you know. Yes, and and I the only reason I'm bringing this up is because the nature of what you and I talk about or right. write about is we we wait in the waters of the day to day, the game to game. You're gonna write a freaking Jordan McLaughlin column. There you go. Like. And they don't rub. I, I, More I, than day to day, buddy. No, that that at is, least week to week and perhaps okay. month to well, month. Exactly. That, that's my point. <laughs> and, and I'm saying I I love that stuff. I love the 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 competition of of the given season. Right. But there's multiple competitions going on here. Exactly. That's the nature of being a front office executive. Is you're playing to quote unquote win now. Right. Play the games at hand, and you're also playing the game of chess of you know right. three dimensional chess of of the future of of years down the road. Now, it maybe sounds like we're, we're questioning this. We're questioning, oh, you know, is this going to work? It, it's this reality of them moving on from D'Lo eventually, maybe. That is a is a better world to live in than eventually moving on from Andrew Wiggins would exactly have been two, right. two years from now. So that these both things can both be true. That And, yeah. you know, you may have a killer chess move in three moves, but... If your first move is going to put you in a in a really really horrible position for your second move, then you may never get to your third yep. move, and you have to take a lesser first move. I see the losing streak, and Cat's behavior, and Cat's lack of defense, and um, the fact that 
Culver didn't work out. Some of the things that are have happened isn't working out. Not did it work yeah, out? Yeah, yeah, right. Well, thus far. Thus I mean, far. Yes, when when Rosas, you know, looked up and said, "Here's the trade deadline." Um, he, you know, he just traded. He, he's got eight new players, so it, it's pretty obvious. Um, he was very bold, and this is this is the part of Rosas I don't like. The salesman Rosas. I knew from May first that we, you know, funny. We didn't hear anything about that on May first. You know, we didn't hear. Uh, yeah, he's got to play the cash game, in. He's your, gotta uh, play the, you know, he's got to play the game. That's yeah. part of that. Looking forward to everybody coming out to Target Center today. You know, yeah, I, I mean, know. Uh, fine, but it. Just don't say anything then. Don't don't say we're gonna be you know we're gonna give you you know this is you know I what? remember I, I don't I don't think I think he held his cards. Ryan Saunders sat there and said, "This group of guys I've just had only just had them for the last two or three days, and already I know that." Where did I hear that before? Oh yeah, I heard that when the, they signed a bunch of bargain basement veterans. I've only been with these guys a couple of days, but already I can see it's a good competition. Everybody's working really hard. One thing I can tell you is we'll work really hard. And three months later, they're all gone. They're selling a product, though. <laughs> I mean, you, I'm not saying I love that either, but I get the notion of they're la- they need to concentrate sell Concentrate on what you're concentrating on. I mean, basically say, I, I can isolate, you know, Noah Vonley, really good attitude, really good rim protector. Mm-hmm. Just say the things that they can do. Yeah. Don't say, boy, when you come out, you will see, you know, you, these guys are going to work hard. Um, not necessarily. And if you, if you, and, you know, Ryan is a wonderful guy, and uh, I agree. He probably has to say what he's saying. But I get tired. As somebody who's covered this team since 1990, I know all the dodges. I know all the half-truths. Um, and the fans do too. The guys who actually have to pay money, the women and men who pay money to watch this team, um, you can't tell them, you know, well, this is what's going to be. What's going to be this year is the Timberwolves are going to be out of the playoffs for the 15th time in 16 years or 14th and 15th, whatever it is. Yeah. And they are hopefully going to finish close to 500 next year and have a long shot chance of making the playoffs next year. That's really the reality here. So um, if – and by then, bringing it back finally incredibly for me to the topic we were originally talking about um, – <laughs> By then, it will almost be decision time on whether or not we want to cut bait with Towns and Russell is right around that time when they begin to maybe make some playoff noise. Well, and then that's that's the 2021 summer we talk about all the time. Of I mean, that's I've been on that forever. That's see, that I don't think the Wolves are players window. there. I think that's what's helpful. Is uh, I, I, I really that. like the fact that Rosas kept the 20 pick, even though. It sounds like that was what was originally holding up the deal is that he wouldn't give it up. But the fact that he kept the 20 pick so that they can do something this year. Okay, well, do and something. I don't believe in bad drafts and good drafts because well, I don't I, think they get predicted well. They don't get predicted well. I'm saying I highly doubt that they draft a rookie at both number six or whatever it is with their own pick and number 16 with the Brooklyn pick. I would say one of – those picks is definitely going out in another trade. Okay. I mean, I just think that's, this is not the chaos of movement with this roster is not stopping. Mm. 
Interesting. No, I mean, why? Why? What do we have to illustrate that they might be like, oh, we found a sustainable path? No, 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 no. They're nowhere near that. This is this is the Philadelphia 76ers of you know five six years ago. This is absolutely with a cornerstone talent further along in in the process. They it will churn. It is their only way. Is their only way to win is if and they are in fact smarter than most everyone else, this front office is, mm-hmm. and works every single margin. And to work those margins, it will require a volume of decisions to be made. And and that's why I think they will make get put themselves in as many decision-making situations as possible. And that is going to be trades, that is going to be the free agent market, and that is going to be more trades. Two years from now, I do believe that Cat, Russell, and Beasley will be here. I agree with that. That's 60% of the starting lineup. Now, which is kind of a lot. I think so. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean that for that's what I was saying about it. for NBA stability, that's pretty good. So what you're arguing is the margins will be and this is often where hay is made in the NBA actually is um 4 through 9 or whatever. I I mean I don't think it's for sure that those three are here in two years from no, now either. It's possible, you know. Yeah, I mean, because a lot can happen in two years. Exactly. Um, I, w- I want to talk a little bit about, uh, and then we'll get to the other aspects of the trade. But the most impressive thing to me this season thus far is how valuable. Literally, efficiency value too, because it can't cost that much money to set up the team that Iowa system is. There hasn't been a single player. I have been, I've looked stupid legitimately mocking people who are no longer mockable. Mm-hmm. I mean, Nas Reed, when he came here, was a terrible defender, just a terrible defender. Jordan McLaughlin was a kid, the, the last guy picked on the playground, you know, Um both of those I, guys, hey, don't don't slight my boy Keelan Martin. Keelan Martin exactly was yeah. a terrible defender. They've done something. Whoever is teaching defense down there, they should come up to the big club and join Vanterpool for what's going on because they are really improving. They are they are they are turning um, minimum salary players into second round draft picks and second round draft picks into fringe you know, rotation players and perhaps fringe rotation players into seventh men, you know? And that is part of... That's incredible. That's, that's great value. And it is a requirement for this team to win a championship. Because mm-hmm. it, it, everything has to go right. Right. To pretty but, much... But it is like something that is kind of under the radar. We, we talk yep. about these guys like no, as individuals, right. yeah. but as a group, my goodness, who has taken a step backwards? No one. You know, well, I don't think anybody I, has. Okay. Jalen Noel does not look good. Oh, yeah. Well, I've never liked him. Okay, but he's been in Iowa all year. Yeah, no. Well, uh, well there you go. That's that's damning, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> I, I, what I'm saying is I like the idea. I was really on Jalen Noel's bandwagon um, because he was a shooter taken in the second round. Yep. And I thought, man, this team really needs shooters. So I was really looking forward to seeing him. And then that only – I think he only got into one exhibition game or something. Whatever it was, he was awful. Didn't play summer league, yeah. He was awful. And so – but you're right. 
if if everybody improves in Iowa, but you know and what? He's been, you know why Jalen isn't working? Because he's working as a point guard. He no, he doesn't understand the system. Uh-huh. Watch, 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 if you go back and you watch his first play that he checked in in the game against the Clippers, he immediately screws up where he's supposed to be on mm-hmm. on that possession, and it's it's James Johnson is actually bringing the ball up. Mm-hmm. It's it's in that first rotation. <laughs> And so, I mean, that's kind of confusing. Everything's right. like inverted. Right. But I, I mean, I've heard this. I, I think Jalen is an interesting player, but he has not picked up the system to the degree that the other that the other guys have, and he looks lost. And now, what the tape has shown, and if you watch what I mean, which he's actually played some for the actual Timberwolves, right? And but more notably, from what I've been able to gather from the little bit you can get from the G League, is he is a shooter in the sense that he is making a high percentage of his three-point shots in the G League and a- as he did at Washington, but he is an off-the-dribble shooter. Mm. And that role that role does only exists within this system if you are in one of the top spots. Right. He, it, he is just strikes me as the type of shooter that does not just love a wide-open catch-and-shoot corner three, which most guys do. Most shooters right. do. He is, it's kind of like Wiggins, where he kind of he kind of likes that one-two into a shot. Derrick Rose was the same way, one-two right. into yep. a shot. Yep. They're, they're off the bounce, the rhythm shooters. Not, and it is a completely different shooting action to just catch the ball, can't move your feet, and you go up and shoot it right away. And I think that, and just struggling to kind of put it all together, as a young player, maybe he will, but um, I think that that's the difference between, for me, between him and... Keelan. Keelan. And, and oh, the other guy we should... Give props to two who was down there for the first month of the season was KBD Bates Diop yes. and, and he I, and I really he helped him get some value in that trade probably yeah so no it's uh he was a much better player his second year than he was his first absolutely I I thought it was I don't I don't think you're at the scrum but I told you about it at dinner I asked Ryan if Jordan McLaughlin is the player on the team who understands the system and he said anyone. he was he said he was he said Jordan understands the system better than anyone else there so then after. Jordan's big game where he got some media attention. So we got to ask him. And I, I asked him about that. He, and he, he brought up Long Island. He brought, he brought and up. And then Brooklyn. He brought, That's when I decided to write about him. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. So, <laughs> so, but what he said then, he goes, having a whole year playing in this system, which right. he did in Brooklyn right. last year, made a big difference. So optimistically, we can attach this to Jalen Noel or really anyone in the roster, the more time you have reps Right. Do, if if Jordan's right, he's better get he better get his act together though, because he's behind the curve. Absolutely. As it, and it's also a testament to the idea that if reps are in fact what makes this thing go, it's you know giving Saunders and Rosas a pat on the back is deserved right. for saying hell or high water we're doing this. Right. Because every game, every minute, we can establish that mentality you know, makes a difference. I, I've i certainly questioned that over time, but if McLaughlin is right and, you know, time equals money here, then, you know, there's there's something to it. And we'll circle back to Nas Reed for a second. Love Nas, man. He's got a quick release. He's like, we have two centers that do not ever shoot jump shots. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> yeah. It's really kind of funny. Yeah. But uh, just... He throws it up like the guy just before he's about to walk off the court and go uh, shower. Nope. He tosses up a shot. It just seems so nonchalant. I, I tweeted uh, after he made that three in the Clippers game. Is like, it reminds me of a 
like a quarterback at football. I feel like Michael Vick was always this way, where it was just like this seamless like flick of the wrist, and the ball would sail 50, 60 yards down the floor. And you're like, where did the where did the power for that come to? And it's just like it's just I mean, in basketball, that just means you're a pure shooter. Yes. And we knew, I mean, people who were paying attention to summer league, you knew that. Right. About about yes. Nas Reed. He I, had a great I, summer league. I, I wrote I mean for as a passer as well. Yep. I mean, I, I was actually more impressed with his passing in summer league than I was with his shooting. His shooting was very mm-hmm. good. But um he made right decisions on when to shoot, when to pass. I just thought and his defense was awful. I don't think I mean, I look back now on my old tweets and I remember, you know, he was so slow. And I, it must have been a lack of awareness. And now he has it, the anticipation. Something I think he wasn't happened. in shape either. Yeah, maybe that's it. But uh, I don't know how Jordan McLaughlin and Nas Reed just take giant steps mm-hmm. in a period of weeks is just impressive to me. It, I just have not seen that from most people. I mean, it's like Wal Ding. Uh, you know, in in the right after, right around the All Star break last year, where he had just been, you know, for a couple of years, he'd been a fringe NBA guy, and the next thing you know, he's the best player on the Timberwolves, <laughs> you know, for like three weeks, and then you find out it was his last hurrah, you know. But this is a guy who's thirty four years old, not yeah. a guy who's twenty, twenty, yeah. or in McLaughlin's case, I guess twenty four or something. But McLaughlin physically has no business being in the NBA, and he's doing this stuff. It's just incredible. I, I would agree with that. It'll be interesting to see, you know, how this plays out with potential buyouts for, I think, a Turner buyout is imminent. Yes. And, uh, and who gets the two-way? Well. Or who gets the the, con- the roster? Jordan, I mean, and it's, it remains frustrating that this is not publicly <laughs> available information, but you can't last the whole year right. with the team on 45 days exactly. of team service. That the four, and that's the, why they've been saving Keelan. They have not been saving Jordan, though. They, but but then Keelan was playing a little bit while Jordan wasn't there. Right, they right. both got to be getting to that point. So, so my point is now you're at this, this position where you could, if you do really like Jordan and Keelan, you could offer them one of those Gupta special contracts right. that right. – like they did for for Nas Reed, or they right. did for I mean Jalen Noel. KBD's on gone, well. and KBD's gone. So, so you can have that one back. But you're at, but but they're at a. They have too many players on the roster right now. I mean, that's why Omari Spellman was a healthy scratch in in the last game, Ooh. and it's why. <laughs> but now, well, he'll he'll be up here because you see they they sent Jacob Evans down. Finally, that should have been done a long time ago. Jacob, he, he was on the team twenty four hours. <laughs> Mari Spellman, healthy scratch. Jalen, I mean, uh, uh, what's his Jacob name? Evans. Jacob Evans in the lineup, or at least suited up, and actually probably did mm-hmm. get a little burned. Bad move. Well, whatever. I mean, one game. I we'll, we'll, we'll see. But we'll I, see. You and I both. We should I just say that we both like Spellman. These guys send signals. Yeah. You know, and if they don't think, if they think Evans is a better prospect than Spellman. I'll be happy to be wrong. I'll say it right no, now. They, that seems ridiculous. But to their me. their follow up signal is they sent down Evans. I know now. Spellman, now so. that's their felt for now. I mean, I'm sure that was just in the scramble of things. Like neither of them are going to play in this game. So I hope so. Whatever. Um, but but I think I think Spellman's an interesting piece. The, the, the other one we haven't talked about at all, and and I was saying to you before this, who I want to eventually write about is I think Hernan Gomez. I liked what I saw from Hernan Gomez in that game too, and it was mm-hmm. overshadowed by you know. 
D'Lo jumping around on the bench, James Johnson doing his thing, right. Beasley going off. But Hernan Gomez is an interesting piece that that is hard to he's he's hard to know because he hasn't he hasn't played a lot. He's never had a, a consistent role. But I I really like that one corner three he made. Mm-hmm. Was he, he got out there just right and ca- caught it and shot it right. really fast. I mean, I feel like he. Do you remember him with the Knicks at all? He was actually pretty good. Wait, he was. Wasn't he? No, you're thinking about his brother. Yeah, his brother's the five. Bad. No, yeah, Hernan Gomez. Thought, as soon as I said it, I thought it might be his brother. Too bad. No, but well, his brother's more of a center. Hernan Gomez is uh is he's been a three four in right, Denver, right? And here he's going to be a four, and. He's going to be literally the poor man's Rocco. Yes. I mean, he's almost the same dimensions, mm-hmm. um, very different kind of movement um, sure. from him, not nearly the defender, but that's not his fault. No one is. I, I, I do think that – I think what they're going to wind up doing is when they want to play um, the cover equivalent of – Gorgie and Cat, they'll use Johnson next to Cat. Yep. And when they want to play the Roco Cat game, they'll use Wancho. I agree. Yeah, I think that's I think that's they have flexibility. I could not figure out for the life of me why they traded Gorgie Jang for this guy. And now I'm realizing it's because they don't want to go two bigs ever. Ever. And so they wanna have a guy who's too big like mm-hmm. can be the equivalent in some ways of Gorgie. In other words, as you were mentioning, he can take a center, mm-hmm. you know, and and I lead. mean James Johnson is in in their view is the poor man's PJ Tucker. Yes. That's a really good I may steal that because I'm writing about him tomorrow. I I mean I think that's that's pretty obviously, you know, where where they're where they're going with it. And then and then Hernan Gomez, I mean, just because James Johnson will probably be on the team next year just because he's under contract, but, you know, for the future. Hernan Gomez, if we're, you, we're saying D'Lo, Cat, and Beasley are the three pieces, you know, who are for sure here. You, right. Hernan Gomez has the case to be, you know, the fourth there as well. Can they afford him? I don't see. That's the rub. I don't know what he'll get. You, you What you're thinking is he's going to get five. Million? Yeah. Yeah, like something like that. I, and I think that would be. That's a, that's a, I think that's a value play. If you can get him three for 15 or something. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure, you know, you and I both know it's such a crapshoot in terms of who what's who wants what, when, where, why. You know, so we, I, it, it, there is no question that Beasley is going to cost, I think, 12 to 15 million. So, so this is what's interesting here is Beasley and Hernan Gomez are different restricted free agents. One in the sense that Beasley is going to get paid more than Hernan Gomez is, and that's that's – Critically important, if Beasley's going to make over $10 million, he is. then he's worth more than the mid-level exception. Mm-hmm. And if he's worth more than the mid-level exception, then only currently, as cap space is, only five teams have cap space right now. So those are the only teams who could who could offer him an offer sheet this ah. year. And I would have to pull it up. But it's but what those teams are, I mean, a couple of them are like Atlanta, and I'm not sure I could really see that happening. But whatever. So he is going to be very restricted. In that sense. Now, Hernan Gomez, if he's making less than $10 million, less than the mid-level, now all these other teams, pretty much everyone else can say, well, we have our our mid-level that we can offer him that sheet. And if they go up to 9, not all the way to 9.8, what, what the mid-level is, 
then maybe the Wolves don't match on that. They can't. But, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see where that is. And I think these 30 games have a way, if he proves to be not as poor of a poor man's version of mm-hmm. Robert Covington, then maybe you are matching something along those lines. Well, I will say that the two previous games against the Clippers had been crucial in that the Clippers got whatever they wanted to on offense Mm -hmm. to begin both of those games. And they did not get whatever they wanted to at the beginning of this last game. And a lot of that had to do with Hernan Gomez really doing a good job on on Kawhi to some extent. And and James Johnson came in and was guarding him too. They both... He put them both in foul trouble before at halftime. They both picked up three first half fouls. But to me, I'm trying to find reasons why not to give that to Hernan Gomez. Well, uh, one reason is because I'm not sure it is a solid value, but it is it, it may be a single that you might be able to stretch into a double, but you just got through saying they need to hit on everything, it's not a big hit. It's a reliable hit. Is 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 giving Juancho Herman Gomez nine and a half million dollars to do what he does at perhaps peak level? Is that but worth it? I so all what all it that's has to be. That's what we'll see in the next thirty. All years. it has to be is something they view as a neutral to slightly positive asset. If if they think he is you know is worth that then then well, they, then they don't care about signing him because they'll go we'll just flip him again in the future it's why they didn't sign Tyus mm-hmm. they right. said and which is proving to be right which I certainly questioned at the time I was like well why don't you just sign Tyus to three years twenty seven million because a year from now I understand he's not your point guard of the future but you could trade him for two the two years and eighteen that are left right. well as it's proving now and how Tyus' season has gone that's not a positive asset right so. So that's that's the calculation they'll need to make with Hernan and Gomez. And also, how many other teams would Hernan Gomez get the burn he's going to get for this team? Which, on the other hand, means that no team will give him the nine and a half. Maybe. I mean, but I, I don't know. I've tried to go through, watch a couple of, like, Denver things. And t- today I was, like, literally seeking things to find, like, this is something Hernan Gomez is bad at. So what I want, I was like, well, what what's a classic bad thing? Okay, so why did they choose Tory Craig over Hernan Gomez? Mm-hmm. Because I maybe th- they're not going to get take Corey, Tory Craig either because he's up this year. Well, I think what happened there is they were it's they Porter. were playing, you think it's Porter? I think it's Porter. They were playing what they what happened last year is right. they would play Jokic, Plumlee, and Hernan Gomez all together. Right, and that was just huge lineup. Huge lineup and and. You know, they they went away from that and, and went smaller. And then they add back in Porter, who's, Porter who, who, who takes us. And he takes us. He's big and little away. in different ways. Right. But but so so this is watching. I think he's overrated, by the way. Porter? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think he's very he good. Put, but he, this, he pushed Beasley and Hernan Gomez to Minnesota. This so I'll hype, take it. you know. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know yet. I haven't, haven't watched enough. But but this is watching his turnovers. I'm not kidding you. 80% of them were, were when he was. It was him and Plumlee in the game. Jokic is out, <laughs> and they have Hernan Gomez running that point center thing where he's up top there, right. and he was not as good at it right. as Jokic is, obviously, and he'd be trying to force Jokic passes. He was, isn't the shooter that Jokic is. Right. So he and doesn't magnetize, so they're covering the guys he's exactly, passing Exactly. They're, right. they're, they're sagging back. So, so, I was, so I'm like, 
Well, okay, if that's one of the main knocks on him, that isn't a big knock because he's not going to play that role right. here ever. He was playing it because Plumley couldn't shoot at all. Right. They had to put somebody up there. Right. Here, it's going to be Cat. He's going to. He's never going to have that spot because that's Cat's spot. Right. And and I don't think he's ever going to play the five. So the let's week. let's make him the prototype Rocco right now and go through that skill set thing. He's obviously a good switcher. Mm-hmm. He's somebody who can get out and guard threes and perhaps twos. Uh, and knows how to play within a system. Mm-hmm. I mean, because that's the other thing I guess we haven't talked about. I mentioned it the other day, and I might write about this too. Anybody would, I think. Sharich uh, and Rocco, when they came here, you went, yeah. wow, these guys really know how to play basketball. <laughs> and then Hernan Gomez and and Beasley. Beasley come here and you go, wow, these guys really know how to play basketball. What does that say about the Timberwolves franchise? You have these guys who day one on the floor, you're going, man, they really know how to play basketball. Because both of them fundamentally, they didn't need to know the system to know that you needed to do this because of this. Right. You know? And and Johnson's same way. I mean, you got three guys in that rotation who suddenly could cock seams that the system hadn't thought about, or as Gorgi mentions, you know, just because it's written down a certain way doesn't mean that's the way it's going to happen <laughs> on the court, you know? Yeah, I mean, so then I think the question becomes why, because I've thought about the Rocco and Sarge thing and the infusion they got last year, you know, after the Jimmy trade, and and you go, okay, why did it stop? Because they went back to the wolf style play. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean that's that's one thing, but there's also, I think part of it was that the roster was rejuvenated from Jimmy being gone, right? And that got everyone else going, and and I don't think this time it's so much everyone being rejuvenated from Andrew being gone because right. I think they were cool with him, right? But but it it's still something new, and it, it kind of got them going. In just they're like, all right, well, the losing's gone. Right. So, so now you go. What what made it stop next? And I think the answer was Rocco got hurt. Rocco uh, got hurt, and Sharich was never really happy. Mm-hmm. Sharich was always the guy. Um, well, and also Tibbs got fired. Sharich was yep. the only guy on that roster who you could see mourn the loss of Tibbs. He did mm-hmm. not like. Ryan instead of Tibbs. Mm-hmm. Um, Tibbs. Which is ironic because, well, maybe this is Ryan catering. <laughs> then Ryan makes the move to start Sarge over Taj. Yeah, uh, and again, that who knows about that? I, yeah. I, I think that um, that's because everybody assumed that Sarge and Cat would play well together, and mm-hmm. for some crazy reason, <laughs> they don't. And and Sarge, you know, I wrote so much about Sarge during that time because – I kept coming back to, you know, my dime store psychoanalysis is that he had a, just a brutal teacher in his father who just constantly was making him, you know, saying, you're not doing this right, you're not doing this right, you know, really tough love. And without that guy in his ear all the time, Sharish began to be his own tough love guy. And in addition to the fact he couldn't stand living here, no matter what he said, it wasn't Philly and you could tell he loved Philly. Right. Um, and he wasn't playing well and he was down on himself for not playing well. He was just a, a, a smell on that team. He was, you know, the odor of his attitude came off on everybody. He was not a happy camper. I mean, he make a mistake and 
you saw him those times he'd go to the bench and Ryan would slap him on the ass and he, he just looked like he was ready to hit somebody, probably so, himself. So then... And the, then you come to Hernan Gomez and Beasley. I mean, Beasley's the opposite. Beasley's this guy going, hey, happy to be here. And and Hernan Gomez too. I think they. I yeah. think that that's a big difference is even, they, both even if they're contract. Even if there's a, yeah, a, a Timberwolf stench that sinks into them right. some, it it's still for them, they're an opportunity to play. I mean, do you remember when those guys both subbed out at the end of the, that game, like three minutes left? They hugged each other. They hugged each other like they just... Locked up going a to the NBA world, finals. World, right? I mean, that it that is different. That is very different than what Covington and Sarge, who were both yes. big pieces of a really good team in Philly. 54-1 team at the time, right? And, and and the Beasley and Hernan Gomez were small pieces. Fledgling pieces right. on a on a really good team there. So it it is a little bit of apples and oranges there to some extent. And, and it, then the contracts. Both Sharich and Rocco had – Sharich had a year and a half left. Mm-hmm. Rocco had two and a half left. Well, three and a half. Three and a half. So there you go. I mean, neither one were going anywhere if the mm-hmm. Wolves didn't want them to. And and so – but at the same time, we're like, well, Sarich is a piece of the future. Rocco's a piece of the future. I mean, we definitely thought that at the time given the nature of those. And we're, we're saying that about Beasley and Hernan Gomez now, even without – or I am mm-hmm. <laughs> bringing them both back, even without the contract security. So, you know, maybe that's – Premature, and I'm, I'm jumping ahead there. Particularly if I'm saying I think they're going to. But gonna con- what I'm hearing, I'm hearing, um, I'm hearing your enthusiasm more than Rosas's enthusiasm. Mm. I'm hearing you make the case for what Rosas should do. I'm not hearing you say that they will bring back her. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that's probably true. So I mean, I think there is a difference. Two very different things. Oh yeah, well, I mean, yeah. I do it all the time. You know, I yeah. mean, it, I just assume that the smart people will do what I want them to do because <laughs> I'm a smart guy. You know, and and, and but the point. Your greater point that Hernan Gomez is easily forgotten about at the current time, in the current circumstance, he was um, the Timberwolves lost Covington, Denver lost Beasley, and those were the names you cared about in that big deal. Um, mm-hmm. And Beasley has proven himself to be this wonderful character you know, John Krasinski did his usual anointing of a new Timberwolf by including a family member and getting this wonderful backstory and yeah. the whole business. How can you not love Malik Beasley? You know, it's, I mean, it's just a wonderful story. So, um, so he's going to get he's going to suck up the ink, and and the loss of Rocco is going to suck up the ink for for people like me that mourn him, and so. Hernan Gomez goes beneath the radar, but who's the starting power forward on this team right now and and who helped key a pretty good defense in the first quarter of that game with no system in, at play? It's know? just that's the, you know, that's the marker I'm trying to put in the ground now as we're literally 48 minutes into the new era right. is that let's not forget about Hernan Gomez too. Right, I Cause, agree. Because D'Lo's going to get all this shine and I Beasley hope let's already. not forget about Spellman. I mean, that's uh, I keep banging my poor little drum for Omari Spellman. And, you know, to be honest with you, it's on the basis of I've seen him like – I saw him twice when the Golden State played the Wolves. Mm-hmm. And I saw him probably four or five times on television when he was getting good run because a lot of the Golden State games, he, I wouldn't, he wasn't in the game when I was surfing through Golden State. But there's something about him I, I agree. that um, – I think that he's got value. I think he's he's one of those weird guys that uh, 
Um, he plays physically and he has finesse. That's just not well, a and, good, a usual combination. And in purely the vacuum of assets, even ignoring the player, him and with Evans too, who I know you're yeah, ready to like ship Evans. out, <laughs> but at which there's there's no film to say there or stats to say there's anything to be excited about with Evans. But those are both first round picks, which means they're only in year two of four year very cheap contracts, right. which makes them assets. That makes them little right. toys to to play right. with, whether it's in Iowa or or at the you know the end of this rotation. I don't think we're going to see Amari Spellman in this rotation because it seems pretty clear that the four bigs are Johnson, Cat, Reed, yeah, right. Johnson, Hernan Gomez. Right. I think he can get some Reed minutes, but. Um, and what about what about Layman when he's back? I think Layman also. Is- I th- Layman. I don't like this idea of Layman playing the four. I like Layman at the I agree, three. I agree. And then you move Culver back. Did. I mean, they, but they don't want to. They don't want to cost Col- Culver if they're trying to be the best team they can be, which is not at all certain. Mm-hmm. Then you play Layman. You give Layman half of Culver's minutes uh, at the three or at the two at the mm-hmm. swing position. And maybe give him some of Okogie's and give him some of the four, but not the majority of minutes. I, I really I want to see him. If he's going to get 15 to 20 minutes, I want 12 to 15 of those to be as a swing man. We're just at the point where there's it's kind of roster crunchy or like log jammy, and, and some guys right. are going to— Because they're so good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they got, we've won 16 games now. Well, it's just they repurposed a log jam yeah. all up in the center position right. throughout the roster by just— and that was moves. great. I yeah. mean, in retrospect, I wrote a column where I'm saying I don't know how they're going to play defense. Mm. And and that's something we actually should talk about. I know you've got your list that I've probably already scrambled <laughs> here. But you you wrote a, what I thought was a really good column, one of those columns that, that resets the, the terms of debate to some extent in that you – and you, you teased it the last time we were on together of – do we really think Cat can ever be a good defender in this system or do we need to change the system for him? Mm-hmm. And you could argue that the trades that were made certainly went in that direction. I mean, they are, um, you know, I don't know what they're going to do with Cat. Well, that, that's the thing I was going to say. How did it reset it? Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's the thing is I don't know what the answer is. Well, I mean, if 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 you begin to switch one through five, and you have a four, it, if you have a four that can you know make the five, can guard the five, but can also guard the three and the two, which is what Johnson can do, what maybe Spellman can do, what um, Nas Reed might be able to do. Who knows? I mean, you know, yeah. well, <laughs> what Layman could do. If they're going to change the system, your boy David Vanderpool, I don't think is long for a job here. <laughs> right. And just because he was right, he clearly it's, his system. it's right. his system. He decided this was the best thing. And, and you know, to clarify that, which we've talked about before, but was this system as it with the first 50 games pre trade banked on Carl Anthony Towns being Rudy Gobert, Andre Drummond, who is the other Yusuf guy, Joel, Joel Embiid, and then obviously Yusuf Nurkic from, from Portland. But the teams who who play that way, who are um, trying to take away the rim and take away the corner that a drop scheme inherently does. That's if you look at Philly and right. you look at Utah, I mean, those are the team. They don't allow shots at the rim and they don't allow corner threes, often repurposed into mid-range shots. Now what was happening with the Wolves is they were taking away the corner threes and they were suffering at the rim. 
with mm-hmm. Towns, which I think makes sense because he's nowhere near the rim defender that those other guys are. And yet, they had their best defense relative to the rest of the NBA since Rick Adelman left town. Mm-hmm. They're 16th in yeah. the NBA. 16th in the NBA after being 27th, 26th, and 24th in but it, some but, combination but of you previous know, years. But you know that— why you know why that stat doesn't because matter? Because cat got hurt. Because because that stat is because it's not, not a cat stat. It's not reflective of cat. Right, right. Everything's about cat. Right. And when cat has played in that role, they're awful. Right. So, so yeah. I mean, the you the the way I closed it was okay. You've made the the column is you've made all these right. plans, and I think of just decision making in in life of anything is you you make plans are great. Right. But. The best plans are the ones that you adjust. So, but that is a really pertinent question then. Is David Vanterpool buffing up his resume or is he being tasked with the idea of coming up with plan B or are they going to ride the status quo? I don't know. That That's a... Well, what we saw against the Clippers was a modification. They tweaked it a little, but they are still... I think what they want to do is make sure that Towns doesn't have too big of a role in anything important that happens on this defense. I mean, Towns can I screw up at the idea. Towns can screw up at the rim, yeah. but you don't want him making decisions that not only screw up the rim but screw up everybody. So, so I, I made this note where I went. I was at practice the day before the game, and okay. it was all the you know all those they let us watch the you know beginning right, of practice. Right. And what they're just working on the whole time is just a shell drill defensively, uh-huh. like for like 10 minutes of they're putting in the first five group, putting in the second five group, and they're just having the guys fly around shell drill, focusing on recovering out, you know, to the perimeter. Which is crucial. Which is crucial, but also... All five guys, though? Yeah. Really? I mean, just, just it was just, I mean... So they were using as, the, the bigs were doing it as well. It's also just the most basic defense you can play. Right, I know. So, so the question becomes... Is that suggestive in any way in this one game, suggestive of what they're going to be doing going forward? Or did they say, but I this is all we can do right now? Right. Because we, we haven't had the chance to, you know. But do you think the they system. played Shell against the Clippers? I think. Sh- uh, you know, I mean, do you think that they, they basically played man or whatever you want to call it uh, according to positioning rather than how the defense was going? I, I literally don't think they put much thought into what it was. I think they just said, everybody pick up someone, talk like hell, and figure it out. Because I think they were doing very different things. And that's things. why they did such a good job. Well, that's what I'm saying. I don't think this is a... I think that... What have I always said, Britt, about about Cat? Light his ass on fire right. defensively. Let him scramble around. Controlling him makes him think, and thinking is bad for but him. if you control him not to think... That's the key. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Good that's luck. and that's what yeah. the purpose is. That's what the whole Vanderbilt scheme is. You have to, you don't have to worry about what's going on in front of you unless it's coming into your face. Yeah. You know? And make sure, by the way, it comes into your face. Don't make it come 10 feet away from you because that's what they want you to do. They want you to go get that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and maybe it's because I like Vanterpool. I mean, this could be a biased statement, but I agree with the idea 
that Carl Anthony Towns is not a great judge of his own defense. And so if you allow him freer reign to indulge his instincts, mm-hmm. you will start breaking chains and doing collisions all over the court in terms of assignments. Maybe. And and you know what? And if David Vanterpool gave me two hours of his time to sit down <laughs> and we could talk it through, I'm sure I'd be a much bigger believer in what he's doing with Carl Anthony Towns. It's just my opinion as the right. blog boy in a microphone that I think that was a I think that was a this was a bad idea in the first place and 50 games in this season that looks pretty damn true. Uh-huh. I I I can't deny that it does. My only counter is it could be worse. <laughs> well, and and you could just flip to the other side of the ball too and go, well, we're clearly just doing shit to do shit because on offense yeah like it and they would go it's unfair to judge anything on this season but that was the point of my calm was that even though the offense doesn't look like it it is finding effectiveness because they don't they aren't making the necessary amount of threes that i have never questioned that offensive fit for as it pertains to town Mm -hmm. and i said go ahead go buck wild with a offense that that lets towns go what you're doing on the other side of the floor is is not the best thing for Cat. No, but I think the important thing to remember there is you want the best thing for Cat to be the offense. Yeah, for sure. The defense doesn't have to be the best thing for Cat because he's the worst defender. You just basically... The best thing for Cat on defense is to hide him, and what you're saying is he's not being hidden in this. No, he's being—the center position is always the most important, and this scheme makes it even more important. I'm not sure it does. I think the way they want to play it— Who's the most important piece of Utah scheme? Who's the most important piece of Philadelphia's scheme? Who's the most important piece of Detroit's scheme? Who's the most important piece of Portland's scheme? Those are the teams who do the most functionally similar things to what what the Timberwolves do, and the most important player in all those schemes is the five. I would argue that, yeah, I I, I guess I would have to argue you're right, but I, I think that to the extent that Gobert and Embiid and um, certainly Whiteside now mm-hmm. – um, they have good personnel around them and they do make mistakes and they still have a high defense. I think that to say that they're the most important, what I would argue is that system takes away threes, encourages – it is as analytically sound sure. I'm not as the other one. And just like, yeah, you may not have you know the most – the the best um, um, space and pace system is probably Houston with Harden and Gordon and Golden State with Clay and Steph and everything, but you can run it very well with mediocre three point shooters. I guess my point going back is you can still run the Vanterpool defense, for lack of a better for conversation purposes, mm-hmm. with a not great rim protector there as long as that rim protector is in the right place i don't think carl anthony towns 
can, can play basketball and be in the right place in that scheme, which I think is difficult. And I think it's, if we break it down really simply, you said analytically sound, all right? So what is what does the system want to do? It wants to take away shots at the rim. It wants to take away corner threes, and it wants to force you into taking as many mid-range shots as you can. So the big wins they have are in the two places. They give up very few corner threes, and, and when they do, they're, they're well contested. What they they give up the most mid range shots in the league, which they which they view as a win. Right, it is a win. Here's the here's the rub. Right, they make more of the mid range. They right. opponents shoot their best in the entire league of yes. mid range shots against the Minnesota Timberwolves, and then where it all really breaks down because that connects to cat inability to be able to read that element and and the guard of the right. mid range. Right, and then it all breaks down with the fact. That when when cats in there, they give up a lot of shots at the rim. Yeah, I do. I I can't disagree with you. And 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 so so yes, that's an analytically smart scheme. Just like just like the offense with that they're running is an analytically smart scheme. But the offense works because cat is good at the offense. The defense does not work because cat is bad at this at this role. Okay, so what is the better scheme to put cat in where he doesn't sabotage your team? You hide him. You, you get you get your four to be able to be the guy who is as frequently as you possibly can. It won't be all the time because you, you can't. Right. You know. I mean, it, you can't make it so Cat's never defending a pick and roll. Mm-hmm. But but you can. I mean, what, what, he, what Golden State did a bunch last year in the playoffs is they do they bump off the guy and they would send. So if uh, if it was Looney, whose man was coming up the side right. of the screen, Iguodala would go up with him. Mm-hmm. And he would, and they would, they would switch that in mid, right, in right. mid flow, and that's what they did with Roko. It's just that Roko can't defend the rim either. Here, here's the, the the issue, and the scarier one is you get to the playoffs, and teams are just going to attack that persistently. And the reality of what happens is, is guys who are much better defenders than Cat have have been get played off the floor mm-hmm. because it will right. be attacked like hell. And I mean, guys like Clint Capella. Obviously, I mean, I think the best example to make in just because they kind of are the same archetype is Kevin Love. Like mm-hmm. when, right. when the Cavs are going, I mean, they literally had to take Kevin Love, who's their third best player, a very meaningful piece right. of them. They couldn't play him. And Bogut they was a big example exactly, on the other in, end. In Golden State. So you just, if you run, if you just stick to this by hell or high water and, and you say it's analytically sound, it's all this and that, what's going to ha- end up happening, even in the ideal world, you know, two, three years down the road when they're in the playoff series, I mean, there's going to be an argument to not play cat. Let me push back a little. Okay. Who is a team that has overachieved the last two seasons in the playoffs? Um, Portland. Sure. Without well, Nurkic, okay, okay. without can... Nurkic, but with Ennis Cantor, doing exactly what we're talking about. Ennis Cantor, who has good been point. roundly okay. ripped. Yep. For not being able to play defense. Now, he's obviously much bigger and stronger mm-hmm. and probably loved the idea of disproving his critics who said he was a sieve on defense by actually being able to play a rim protector in this role. And it really helped that they had an Aminu who was a piece of barbed wire. Very and James Johnson-like. Let's give, let's give Vantable some credit. Yeah. Let's give some Vantable some credit. The, the profound defensive impact he had was turning Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum into competent defenders. Now, right. that might not be the most Which he kind of did with Wiggins, despite the numbers. Absolutely. So so now I'll connect this back 
to Vanderpool on, right. on this team is that is is another bear of a task is turning DeAndre Russell into <laughs> into Damian Lillard or CJ McCollum defensively. I mean, you yeah, laugh at it, but I, no, I know I, I laugh because it it's such a titanic I, task. I I loved in that playoff in the playoffs last year against the Thunder. I watched all seven of those games. CJ McCollum's just he's a tough little bugger. He said. We win this series if I defend. Right. And that— He had a really good that series. That takes some selflessness. So did Aminu, by the way. I know people don't think Aminu played that well. I thought he played pretty well. I loved Mo Harkless in that series for them, too. Yeah, that, too. Um, but they got rid of Harkless. And they got rid of Aminu. So, <laughs> they they know, did. The, and they got rid of Vanderbilt as a result. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. There, there's, not a, there's not a direct line answer to any of these questions. That, a direct line answer to what they should be doing defensively. The thing we know is that all lines connect to Cat. Right. So you got to ask yourself, is this the best thing for What Kat? does Miami do? What is Bam doing? Well, Bam, not he, his, his ass is lit on fire. Yeah, I know. But, I mean, he is – he's – he's. I don't know how they're rim protecting, probably because all five guys are yes. rugged, you know. Rim, I mean, rim, that's the that's yeah. the Spolster way. I'm just trying to figure out how teams that don't have an Embiid or a, a Gobert protect the rim. Because that's what I think we're the answer would at. be with five guys. Yeah, and and so you need and and we've already got two guys mm-hmm. who can't play defense, so that's out. I mean, you know. Yeah, I mean, don't you worry that there'll be a um, exponential corrosion in the defense when Cat and D'Lo start hanging together, both on and off the court. I mean, don't you worry that it's going to be the opposite of accountability? Yeah, but I just kind of want just to be happy personality right now. wise. I just, I just kind of. <laughs> I, I just mean, want can't to be you see right both now. of them just going, "Hey, you know, we're gonna we're gonna win this. You got thirty eight tonight. I got a, I know, I got seventeen assists. If only we'd been able to do, you know, a little bit more. And uh, and I'll say Vantable again. That's that's, that's why you gotta, might get the big bucks. That, well, that, oh no, that's. <laughs> Convincing those guys that that is not the right mentality right. is how this works. Yeah, straight up. Yep. If if you don't, I mean, and and I I worry about that with a whole bunch of guys who are twenty three in the league right now, mm-hmm. and you know, and maybe and maybe they'll progress. But you look at the most popular twenty three year olds in the league, and you Trey Young, worst defender in the NBA. I'm, I'm thinking about Luca's actually a subpar defender. They don't care about it. Kyle Kuzma, no, right? Kyle Kuzma. I, I watch Wiggins. Yeah, Kyle last, Kuzma is always suck. I know, but but Kyle Kuzma is also this wildly popular twenty-three year old, and and as is as is Devin Booker, right. you know. And it's Booker is the best of the of the deal. I agree. I agree. Let me, let me finish what I'm saying. <laughs> All right. They're worried about they're worried about their clout. Uh-huh. And their perception. And they're worried about I don't you don't know what house How old of highlights. Are you? You're is. like thirty years old. You're already a grumpy old man. I, I yeah, I guess, I mean, they're a lot younger than I am. They're like I'm, I'm, they I know, are. I know. But, but you're but it's this different. You're very ge- get off my lawn right now. Well I'm whatever. I'm here for it. I'm sixty seven. <laughs> they're they don't they care about what that looks like. It's the exact reason why Carl Anthony Towns gets a dunk and does his flex scream right. thing and why they inbound well, they the ball. they go back and, and get a rebound. Uh, and and Patrick right. Beverly goes, goes and gets a layup because by doing that, 
he thinks he's going to get on House of Highlights, which right. I don't know if you know what that is. It's just like it's it, I mean, it's essentially like the today's Sports Center top 10. Right. Because he is. It doesn't matter if he plays defense. He's that dunk. He right. dunks on Kawhi and he, and he flexes. He's going to get on. He's going to get on Sports Center for right. it. Right. They're not going to go down and be like, well, if you look at the transition defense and Patrick Beverly penetrated right. this into right. a, a drop off to Zubats. No. Right. But at the end of the day, that's what matters. It's what matters. It completely negated the fact that he got the dunk in the first right. place. So, so what are, what are you about? What are you about, 23-year-olds? And this right. is what Vanderbilt needs to say. And, and, said, and the poster boy for that, since I can always jump on my favorite mm-hmm. guy to jump on, is Zach Levine. Sure. Who does that, I mean, Endlessly. Is, yeah. is a wonderful— I mean, you talk about— yeah. You could put together an offensive highlight tape on that guy that Love rivals it. anybody in the NBA— and, and I love and that he, highlight tape. And he's worthless. I, I'm. It's, he has never played on a winning team. But some guys do grow out of that. Yes, they some do. guys do grow out of it. And Damian Lillard and CJ Damian Lillard specifically, if you look at his age progression right. and his progression and the things that he cared about, is the example. I don't know though. Like at the end of the day, it's going to come down to like Danger Russell, Cat. Like, do you got the cojones to like? To do this, are you going to do the stuff that impacts winning? Right. Because we know you can get cat, you can get thirty-five and thirteen. D'Lo, we know you can get bucket after bucket. But are you going to fight? Right. If, are you going to fight and do the grimy stuff? Did and, Golden and State win or lose when he dropped fifty on him on the Wolves? <laughs> they lost. There you go. Exactly. I mean, yeah, all those guys. Yeah. You what? You know what the result was when Devin Booker scored seventy-one? They lost by like twenty to the Celtics. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, it, it. But it doesn't matter. On his resume, on Devin Booker's resume, right, he's right. got the cloud of he dropped seventy one in a game. Right, and I don't know. To, I don't know Devin Booker, but I know in the locker room afterwards he wrote seventy one on a piece of paper, and they took a picture with this team, <laughs> and he posted it on Instagram. Ah, uh, the so, Wilt move. Right. It, that's what I'm saying. You got to. Yeah, it, it goes back to the thing, man. They're empty stats unless you win. They're empty stats unless and you Phoenix win. Phoenix is not winning, in my opinion. Even though Aiden is having a really, really nice month. Right. I. I'm saying that now. At 23, Who's 23, th- th- maybe. 23, this is what these guys are doing now. They can change. Right. Worked. I, I think you and I are too close to Cat and too annoyed by needing to deal with him every day to like see that that change could come. But that change does come. People change from 23 and to 26. He's a smart years old. guy. Yeah. It, if it, it would be great. And, and, and that's why I worry about um, as much as Russell ties him to Rosas. And to the loyalty of this franchise, mm-hmm. what is the cost of that? The cost may be, you know, dual uh, all O no D. And and what it what was was Rosa's line at the at the press conference? Because his first his May first his opening right. statement was to be a playoff team you need to be a top ten offense and a top ten defense, and to be a contender you need to be a top five offense and a top five defense. That, I quoted he, that in the piece. You did it was good, but he changed his tune on that. He says now the word is you will see the net impact of the talent we have on this team making up for for anything that's lost, and 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 so what he is inherently saying there. We're Basically, not going to be a top 10 defense. We're not going to be a top 10 defense. And what what is we're going to have to learn is, can you be a top five offense and the number 15 defense and be a playoff team and, you know, slide it up? Then do they need to be the number one offense? You know who's doing that? Houston. Yeah, they are. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And and I don't know. We have to see. We have to see what, what works. I mean, the league right. is constantly right. changing. Right. And maybe this was just – Rosos was like – I mean, he knows just as much as you or I do 
that D'Angelo Russell <laughs> right. has probably more. Yeah, way, way more. <laughs> does, hasn't gave a damn about playing defense his whole career. Right. And and he knows that Cat doesn't know how to play defense. Right. And hasn't for the vast majority of his of right. his whole career. And he's just taking a bet. He's getting the best he can get. And and hoping to keep which I'm glad it. we started the podcast with right, that right. we both are like we're on board with this even though they're it's fraught and and I'm gonna even give myself even more of I'm super on board with it because you want to talk about corrosive three more years of Andrew Wiggins and this would have been ruined right right so so that's. You know, we'll see. We're, we're, what, 48 hours into the new, new era. And when most people will hear this, your, your usual caveat, they'll have played a Toronto team. Yep. I think is are they still 14 in a row? Have they yeah, lost 14 in a row. recently? So, um, you know, that's a great team. There's Clippers no, are a great team too. I'm not, But nobody is flexing on Toronto. I actually see Occam occasionally. Lowry does some interesting things, but they're always <laughs> – Lowry has the great ability to bitch. They're at the, committed to doing the things that are winning. Lowry bitches at the refs and gets back at the same time. I have no <laughs> idea how that happens. It's smart. That's smart. Um, we'll see. I'm full. We'll, a couple weeks from now, we'll have a couple more data points. You'll have a Jordan McLaughlin column. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I for the both of us. I just is, think that you this know this is cool, right? When, like when, when, something to talk about, write about. When I belittle somebody. When I go out of my way to mock somebody mm-hmm. and they put it in my face, I feel like to have any integrity at all, I have to I have to write that this guy is a lot better than I thought he was. And I already know where you're going to go with that. You're going to make the D'Angelo Russell parallel. No, I'm yeah, not. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. There will, be, you, there will be the line in there because I think you tweeted it out. <laughs> That if this was D'Angelo Russell's first game and he did what Jordan <laughs> McLaughlin did, people would be losing their mind. Wasn't that amazing, though? He had such a the, – the switch hands. If D'Angelo had done the driving right even or yeah. make it reverse because he's lefty, but whatever, go with the offhand at the last minute on a floater. It was going to be a banker with the right hand. It became a floater with the left. McLaughlin can play, and he can play in this system. He's a, he, 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 deserves, he, he, he deserves praise. Just the, the timing's funny. Um, we've been going for a while. That's Britt Robson at The Athletic. You can find his stuff. I'm Dane at Dane Moore NBA. I think I'll have something after this Raptors game. Well, I don't know what direction <laughs> it'll go, but uh, uh, we'll have that and be back on Thursday with Charlie. Until then, peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah. Green and hot so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you're dancing like nobody else around, yeah. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.